Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. This is Season 12, Episode 17. Today I'm speaking with chef food writer Paul Farabach, who is a seven-time James Beard Award semifinalist for Best Chef, Great Lakes, and owner of the critically acclaimed Chicago restaurant, Big Jones. Farabach is the author of the Big Jones Cookbook, Recipes for Savoring the Heritage and Regional Southern Cooking, and the new book, Midwestern Food, A Chef's Guide to the Surprising History of a Great American Cuisine, which is out today. It's such a big thrill to talk with Paul, who is a very generous with his time. I love the Big Jones Cookbook, and any foodie in America will love the book, Midwestern Food. This is not just recipes, but the histories of where and why of American cooking. For those of you who live outside the United States, this is a really important cookbook and worth purchasing. If you want to see beyond hamburgers and hot dogs, this book has so many treasures of American cooking. I'm going to take you now to my conversation with chef, food writer, Paul Farabach. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, we're speaking with chef food writer, Paul Farabach, who is the seven-time James Beard Award semifinalist for Best Chef, Great Lakes, and owner of the critically acclaimed Chicago restaurant, Big Jones. Farabach is the author of the Big Jones Cookbook, Recipes for Savoring the Heritage of Regional Southern Cooking, and the new book, out today, Midwestern Food, a chef's guide to the surprising history of a great American cuisine. Paul, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. When you were when you were young, was there anybody that uh, kind of inspired your uh, love of food and cooking? Yeah, I mean, my mom obviously. I mean, I think that's a common I think that's a common trope, and also uh, my grandmother on on my mom's side, um, who I knew growing up. Um, I think my my aunt Rita was actually really inspiring. She's uh, the wife of my godfather Lee Gress, and. Uh, I think I talk about her in the opening of the chapter on side dishes and she was just a really phenomenal home cook. And like one of my earliest food memories was actually her and her daughters making blackberry pies after we had gone out to the blackberry patch on uh, grandpa's farm and uh, picked blackberries. So, um, you know, just that, that exposure to, to real, to real cooking um from a very young age was very much something that determined my direction for life were there any foods that kind of stuck with you over time that you um still love today that you kind of use in the restaurant that we use in the restaurant i don't know i mean like i i love uh blackberries because again one of my earliest one of my earliest food memories you know, so we do whatever we, everything we can with blackberries in season, um, strawberries, the same thing. I mean, when you think about foods, when you're young, you like sweet things or fruits or yeah. candies and that sort of thing. And so, you know, you pick strawberries, uh, were a big thing back then. I guess they, they still have you pick farms, but, you know, we go out to the, to the strawberry farms and pick strawberries and take them back and make, and make shortcake and pie and all of those other kinds of things um you know so mostly berries that's very understandable i love berries myself and biscuits i guess biscuits biscuits is probably the first thing i learned how to cook and we you know we make them every day i've made biscuits already this morning here at the restaurant biscuits are a wonderful thing i learned to cook them from my grandmother and uh 
I think it's a great thing to always be able to do if you need to make something for other people. People always love biscuits. Yep. Now, your first rec restaurant work was at the High Ricky Noodle Shop in Chicago. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, that wasn't really my first restaurant work. Um, it was kind of the restaurant where I sort of found my footing in gotcha. in Chicago after I moved here from Indiana. I'd already been in the industry. Um, I was the general manager at uh, the, the their Southport location, which was the the, the highest volume one. Oh, wow. And because I had culinary experience, I helped uh, the owners uh, and the kitchen managers sort of, I was the, the culinary guy of the management, um, sort of working with, we had a lot of Chinese Vietnamese cooks in the kitchen. And, you know, so sort of working with the, the, the kitchen managers and um, making uh, these dishes, sort of standardizing them um, across the locations making sure there were recipes, uh, basically doing the, the the chef work on the back end of them, although my role was as general manager. It was a, it was a great experience. I, I, I miss that job a lot all the time. And most of us actually who worked there way back when are still in touch. Um, friends, I think two of them are married now and have kids. But we, you know, we had probably on any given day, at least five languages spoken in that restaurant. We had Thai, Vietnamese, um, Cantonese, um, there was usually uh, Filipinos in the kitchen and people from Latin America, in addition to, um, you know, the 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 white hipster waiters. And so it was very multicultural and, uh, you know, a great learning experience from that perspective and a great. Um, I learned a lot about about managing people um, just by, you know, taking all of these people with disparate backgrounds and and you know, forming them into a, a, a cohesive team. You won a, a James Beard award at a very young age. I'm sorry, I'm going to edit that out. Let me redo that. Um, you got a James Beard nomination at a pretty young age. What was that like for you? I could imagine it would put you under a lot of pressure. Oh, I didn't even really know what it was. Um, and I got an invitation to go to this dinner or event and I, I don't know. I just worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I didn't, I, I never really follow. I mean, I guess, you know, the more nominations and certainly with my own restaurant where I'm, you know, more intimately concerned with putting butts in seats than I ever was working for other people. Although, you know, it's your job. You're always concerned with that. Yeah. Um, I never really cared about stuff like that. That's not why I do what I do um, awards and recognition, but, you know, now it's like, you know, I'd love to win one because it would, it would, it would make the restaurant busier and I'd have more opportunities for my people. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at the time I really had no, no clue. You were the executive chef and co-owner of Big Jones in Andersonville in Chicago, where you were dedicated to reserving and resurrecting dishes from a wide variety of Southern cuisines. Can you talk about where the idea to open this restaurant came from and what you were envisioning for it? As far as what I was envisioning for it, I guess maybe a Southern home away from home in Chicago. Um, but I guess I was, you know, maybe strikingly not visionary when I opened it. I really, um, I had a chance finally after many years of, of uh, saving money, um, gaining experience working where I thought I could gain the, the most experience to eventually have my own restaurant. 
Um, and I finally got into a position where I could do it. And um, I, I really wanted to cook something that was maybe outside of the box a little bit. Um, and I wanted to cook food, obviously, that I liked and and could eat every day. And at the time, nobody, you know, this is, you know, 2006, 2007, when the, when the, when the ideas are forming. Um, and, you know, 2007 was when things get really real. Uh, we signed the lease and all of that. But I was really thinking at the time, you know, nobody was taking Southern food seriously. Um, there were some really good soul food restaurants on the South and West side, but, you know, and this is a whole separate conversation. Southern food is, is derivative uh, soul food is derivative of Southern food. It's not really Southern food is this really broad regional thing. It's very different yeah. from the coastal Carolinas to the mountains South to, you know, the Gulf coast and uh, the deep South and everywhere in between. And that's kind of why the big Jones cookbook is structured the way it is. But I didn't think anybody was taking Southern food seriously. And uh, as a regional cuisine, you know, like you would open an Italian restaurant or like you would open a, a French restaurant. Um, so I thought I would open a, a Southern restaurant and treat this food like uh, the great regional cuisine that it is and take it very, very seriously. And so that was sort of where the idea came from. And uh, I guess when we opened, it was a real, I got really tired of the question. So why did you decide to open a Southern restaurant? Like it was some really, but it's funny because it was kind of a very out of the box thing to do at the time. Yeah. Um, nobody was open. Nobody was doing, you know, now there's a million Southern restaurants, but nobody had really done what I'd done and say, you know, Southern cuisine is a real regional cuisine and um, doing it that way. But people, so people would ask me this question out of curiosity, whereas, you know, if I open an Italian restaurant, nobody would ask me, Hey, why'd you decide to open an Italian restaurant? Yeah. Everybody thought it was really weird that somebody decided to open a Southern restaurant. And I was just like, well, wait and see, you'll understand why I wanted to do Southern food. Now you, you wrote um, the big Jones cookbook recipes for savoring the heritage of regional oh. Southern cuisine. Now, did writing this book, you know, it is a cookbook and you had a chance to highlight what you were doing in the restaurant, but also did it give it you a chance to talk about this topic a little bit? Yeah, it did. And I, I laid out the book um, by region, dishes inspired by and, and, and coming from a region. I think a lot of times chefs say, you know, oh, this is inspired by such and such cuisine. And, you know, I... I definitely wanted to create a more um, accurate representation of Southern food. Notice I didn't use the word authenticity. That's kind of a, a loaded term. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was trying to fish dishes out of uh, a regional context and sort of portray them in that way. And, and some of them are not necessarily truly accurate you know, historical or regional representations, but they are kind of more loosely inspired by uh, the foods of a region. But mostly I've tried to be really true and honest about Southern cuisine because we were the first at the time, um, really out, out anywhere in the country outside the South to approach Southern food in this way. And I thought it was really important to be, to be true to the cuisine um, and not, you know, sort of, play around with it too much if that makes sense yeah and the you know so the 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 big jones cookbook i think 
you know, a lot of people thought maybe the recipes in it were too straightforward. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think if, you know, something like um, a buttermilk pie is just so damn perfect, why why do you need to put a spin on it? Or why do you need to um, to do something else with it? Um, or something like fried chicken. Yeah, there's a million different ways you can make fried chicken, but I don't need to, you know, make some my my fried chicken doesn't need sauce so it, it it's yeah there's no reason to you know go and make this elaborate dish out of fried chicken it's just like you know make fried chicken and and it's it's perfect so if it's a perfect food you know why do i need to go put a chefy spin on it and you know where my experience as a chef comes in is that we do these dishes i think better than anybody else can because of the experience we have doing them so you know, yeah, we make buttermilk biscuits. We don't try to do anything, you know, chefy or fancy with them. We just make the best damn biscuits we can. And the Big Jones cookbook is sort of, sort of represents Southern food in that way by region. So I want to talk about your new cookbook, the one that's out today, mainly because I just really loved it. And it, I, I'm a food nerd and I love eating a lot of different foods that I've grown up eating. Things like chow chow, piccalilli, things like that were things that I grew up with. So I was really kind of very thrilled and happy to see somebody talk about these things because to me, they're very American and they're very much part of our, our heritage food wise. And I just love the book. I love you talking very authoritatively about uh, these topics. And it was just such a fun book for me to read. Now, um, for those of you we're listening to the podcast it's the book is midwestern food a chef's guide to the surprising history of the great american cuisine with more than 100 tasty recipes can you talk about where the idea for this book came from other than just i think the love of doing it because i could feel a lot of love and joy in this book yes i mean i moved to chicago in the mid 90s um and sort of was on my own, at least, or in, more independent of my family. And it was, you know, had moved away, you know, farther away. And I wasn't spending as much time at home. And uh, over the course of the 2000s, as I got closer and closer to being able to do my own restaurant um, and maybe had a little bit more free time, I started to go home a little bit more because also m my parents were aging. And uh, I, I sort of, maybe started to look at all of these old cafes that had been there for these Indiana cafes that had been there for 80 years serving, you know, serving the same food. Um, and just the, just the regional dishes, you know, going to the County fair and, 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 and checking out the cakes and pies and cookies and things like that. Um, and, you know, then I, you know, I opened big Jones. I spent a lot of time in the South, um, learning researching tasting and i sort of was inspired by i thought every southern town and this is true really has at least one of these cafes or one of these restaurants that's been there forever serving you know the same food in like a really um faithful manner um just some people would again use the word authentic but it's certainly authentic to to that restaurant and and I admired that a lot. And I thought that that was missing. Um, I thought that was something that the Midwest didn't have. But then, you know, I started spending more time going back to Indiana and visiting my family. And I started to realize and making stops on the way down. And I started to realize, you know what, actually, the Midwest has this too. And, uh, you know, we have them in my hometown. But I 
I really took these things for granted growing up because they're there and you don't think there's anything special. Um, if you're going to eat a breaded pork tenderloin every day, it's not special. It's not unique. You think everybody right. everywhere eats breaded pork tenderloins. And so that sort of started to grip me a little bit. And also as dad got older, I really wanted to, you know, he was the last generation to grow up on a farm with the old uh, Midwestern farmstead foodways where grandpa had a smokehouse, grandma had a chicken coop and a, and a, and a huge kitchen garden. There was a whiskey barrel of sauerkraut in the back porch. Um, there were, was, um, you know, the Swiss brown dairy cow and, and, and the, you know, they had pigs in the yard and there was a hog butchering every fall. And that was how, that was how they ate. And so I wanted to, I would pick dad's brain more and more for just for his recollections of things. And I sort of had this idea that I really wanted to document this stuff um, before this old generation. Like my aunt Rita also died during COVID. Um, it wasn't COVID. Um, she was lived on lived 96, I think, but um, long and pr very productive life, but uh, she died during COVID. But I mean, I, I wanted to sort of, get these stories down and documented while this while this old generation was still alive and that sort of became the beginnings of this book and uh it sort of evolved over time i love the examination in your book on several american foods and how they came to be american foods after being you know brought here by immigrants i myself have eaten a lot of the things in the book. And I think it's always a surprise for me to, to find these things and go, oh my God, yeah, I haven't eaten this years. And I remember like, you know, having for dinner in high school, like, you know, we'd have pork steak and we'd have some home fries and some, you know, some chow chow on, on the side there and some biscuits. And these are all things I've seen in your book. And like, it reminds me, like, I remember recently I saw um, an article about um, somebody in another country made a, an American restaurant and had a hamburger. And I'm, I'm so sick of hearing about that, like just hamburgers always being the representation of American food. And to me, I feel like you really kind of brought out the idea of, of immigrant food, you know, and, and its transition to American food. Like I've had runs as at basketball games that were being sold by little ladies at a card table. And you talk about that lovingly in your book. Can you can you talk about this a little bit more and how you kind of did uh, research to find out more about this for your book? Yeah, I mean, I, again, tr did sort of what I did when I was learning about Southern cuisine and, you know, traveled as much as I could uh, to kind of experience things firsthand. And and I guess, you know, high school basketball games, that's a really good, uh, that's, that's you know, they, they, they occur obviously all around the country, but that's a very sort of Midwestern thing. I talk, you know, I use the, the, the metaphor of Big Ten football a lot um, yeah. in the book, but you know, those tailgates, you know, yeah. those, are the, 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 those are the types of places where you can sort of experience those foods. Um, but I've talked to people from, you know, Wisconsinites, I think, are some of the most fun people to talk to about food because it's just such a wild food state and yeah. people don't really understand. Um, and, you know, Ohio is actually a really wild and interesting food state also. So, you know, here in Chicago, we have people from all over the country and so I'd talk to people who were from different places and, and get their pointers and tips and, you know, use um, Minneapolis as a home base and Milwaukee as a home base and Madison and uh, St. Louis and, and, you know, sort of explore the parts in between on those, on those journeys. 
to to try to you know to try to experience you know the things that are truly unique and local and you know in the process of editing the book and even writing the book as it took shape it's like i sort of start to realize there were a lot of things that in spite of you know 120,000 words and 300 pages there's a lot of there's a lot more out there in the midwest and there may have to be another book <laughs> i i just love uh I love that you include some really great things in the book that I've heard about so much about and have had friends espouse to me about like one of my friends, she's always talking about somebody gets her some, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly, but whenever one of her relatives sends her some uh, getta, is that mm -hmm. how it's pronounced? Yeah. Yep. Some getta. She's so happy and talks so lovingly about it. And then things like, uh, you know, a, a hot style gardenera, giardera, gardenera, gardenera. Yeah. Hot Stella Gardner, I've heard so many people I know that are like regional to Chicago talking about that. And just like I've, I've seen so many loving things. I know this is going to have like, when this hits, it's going to have a lot of people talking about it because it's going to have like things that are their regional things being talked about. And I think they're going to be really thrilled. Um, I read a quote about you that I thought was really wonderful. I wanted to ask you about. It was in the Huffington Post and it says, Paul is unique that he doesn't look forward at what Southern food could be. He's looking backward at what it once was. He loves a hundred year old handwritten recipes, time-honored techniques and heirloom ingredients. What do you think about that quote? Um, I think it's actually largely accurate. I, 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 I definitely have always been interested in, in history and you know what makes things work and where things came from. So certainly when I was learning Southern cuisine and um, I, I wanted to understand how people cooked Southern cuisine, you know, before modern industrial products, it tainted it. Um, and there's a lot more of that in the South than there is in the Midwest because the Midwest evolved and sort of developed and grew along with industrialization. So, um, industrial food sort of creeps into the midwestern lexicon a lot earlier in its development than it did in in the south but i had long had a passion for seasonal cooking it was just something that was instilled in me from a very young age you know and i i talk about all of those influences in the book and you know blackberries and you know picking blackberries and strawberries like I, we've already mentioned um i wanted to understand how people cooked seasonally in the south and that meant i had to find books that were maybe predated refrigeration or reliable refrigeration at least. And I, I started to find this this wealth there in the old cookbook literature. And, you know, yeah, that became the kind of stuff that I really loved. And um, also, yeah, the handwritten recipes are things that are very personal. And usually it's, you know, a mom, in rare cases, a dad, you know, an aunt or uh, a grandma sharing thoughts and methods about how she feeds her family and i think that that's one thing that we don't really appreciate in the study of american cultural history like and the, the so the development of foodways which largely comes out of the university of mississippi and the southern foodways alliance like the study of foodways as an academic pursuit um yeah. is something that we haven't had and it's something that is becoming important and i think it's really important because you know certainly until the modern age people spent a lot of time finding and preparing food and 
if you want to understand how people lived, you, you were looking at how they fed themselves and how they fed one another. And so I think it's a real window into, into, into culture and what people value those types of recipes. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask about um, something that everybody's talking about right now. Uh, if, if um, you know, I don't know if you've seen it or I know that you've talked about it in your book, but the TV show, the bear is really big and it's uh, it references Chicago and Chicago food. And also just the idea uh, for many of us who are not working in restaurants, uh, being a chef and working in a restaurant. Um, have you seen the show? Any opinions on it or thoughts on it? Um, I have not seen the show, but I know a lot of people who have watched it. Um, and, you know, it's funny from the, you know, from the very early in the airing of the bear last year, uh, people would comment, um, oh, you know, it's the most accurate, you know, representation of a restaurant that I've seen. Uh, and some people would say, oh, you know, you would tell me, oh, you should watch it. It's just like a restaurant. And I'm like, no, no why would I want to do that <laughs> during my free time? Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> Uh, so I haven't seen it. I, I think it's great for the city. Uh, it's going to be great for Italian beef. Um, my partner's watched it and says it's just fantastic. And he's old and jaded like me. So if he thinks it's a fantastic show, no, no doubt that it is. Um, but uh, it's it's just not something, you know, watching a, a, a show that takes place in a restaurant is maybe when I'm retired and not <laughs> living, a, living a restaurant every day. I'll I'll go back and pull out the bear out of the archives. Yeah, you don't want to get PTSD from watching it. <laughs> I yeah, I thought I never really thought about it that way. I guess if somebody had a TV show about working in a library, I don't be like, never mind, I'll pass on that. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Well, all I want I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I'd like to say good luck for your book, but I don't think you need it because it's going to be really, really uh, well received. I think people are going to love this. I think it's going to do really well. So, thank you. I all the best it. to your book. All right. Thank thanks you. for being on the podcast. Sure thing. That was my conversation with chef, food writer, Paul Farabach. His new book, Midwestern Food, is out today. You can purchase it via the link in the bio or from all better bookstores. Next week, we'll be talking with Michelle Arabach and Nicole Savita about their important new book, Feeding Each Other, Shaping Change in Food Systems Throughout Relationships, Resetting Our Future. Until then, I'll see you at the library.